What's up, Beers and Bible listeners? A lot has happened since we last sat down together. So on today's episode, we'll talk about running a marathon together, the recent events in Israel and Gaza, and how all of this might have something to do with end times Bible prophecy. Should be a good one. Josh, and I am finally joined by the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend, the Gabe Relich. Your screen just totally froze up and I couldn't yeah, hear anything no, you said. No, I, I gave you this like awesome introduction and then your screen froze, my screen froze. Uh, it was man. amazing, but oh well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I missed two episodes. Is that right? Did I get that right? You missed two episodes and apparently the first five seconds of this episode, so... Yeah. yeah. So 2.01 episodes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. How you doing though, man? You doing good? I'm sh- yeah, I'm doing great. Doing great. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering if the rumors uh, were abounding. What people were wondering if I got kicked off the Beards and Bible podcast. Well, I mean. No, I didn't. You don't have a beard, so maybe. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Why did you shave your beard? Yeah. Because I don't know how to trim it properly. I don't know how to keep mm. it at a manageable length and a, like a, a you know, I just don't know how to do that and do it well without it looking like a chia pet kind of situation. So I just kind of buzz it all off every two months and yeah, scare everybody. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm sorry, man. I, I know not every one of us can be um, as bearded as as myself. See, here's my thing. Mm-hmm. I, there's a part of me that wonders if I would enjoy the beardless life because I would look a lot younger, <clears throat> mm-hmm. but my wife mm-hmm. and my kids would not allow me to be beardless. Like mm. my wife doesn't even really know who I am without a beard and my kids have never seen me without a beard. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> at this point I've, I've made my bed and I've got a lie in it. Has, so. has Jenny other than photos and stuff like that, has Jenny ever seen you without a beard? Um, once when we were dating, there was an eighties party that we went to and I shaved my beard into a mustache. Hmm. And, um, immediately after that party was over and I shaved the mustache, she was like, you grow that beard back now. And I said, yes, ma'am. Hmm. So, and that was almost 15 years ago. She so she did not appreciate your, she did not appreciate your face in the nude, huh? No, naked, naked face. Josh is uh, not hmm. a sight to behold. It just makes my eyebrows look super big. <laughs> So, yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, besides that, man, besides the death of your beard, how's, uh, how's life? How have you been? It's been good. I got to hang out with a good buddy of mine and his wife and his kids the other night at this place in Chattanooga called, uh, Loopy's Pizza. Is that what it is? Loopy's Pizza. Yeah, man. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was good times. And you were that good friend. Yes, I was. And your wife and your family. Yeah, man. It was a good time. Uh, it was good times. We were we were approached by a random stranger who wanted to talk at length about everything. And <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, really nice guy, but yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Um, so and this just wasn't going to end well. This guy uh, accosted Jenny and I and the kids as we were parking in downtown Chattanooga to tell us that parking was free on the weekends, which we were very grateful for. And then he just kept talking to us mm-hmm. as we were parking the car and getting the mm-hmm. kids out of the van. And he's just on the road in his car. And, um, you know, we were trying to be nice. We were like, okay, that's weird. And then we <laughs> walked down to Loopy's, run into Gabe and Stacy and their kids. And then we all walk into the restaurant together, and lo and behold, there's our friend. And he's like, hey! Like, really excited, like, you know, we're buds or something. And uh, then for the next 15 minutes, he yeah. proceeds to um, accost our wives and children and all of us. And, uh, hmm. yeah. yeah, interesting dude. I don't know if he's a listener or not. I mean, accosting is not too strong of a word. You don't, you don't, you don't think accosting is too strong of a word? Though? I don't think so. It was like... I mean, I'm fine with I'm fine with it. <laughs> Okay. What's the definition of a costume? Uh, I think it was that he forcibly had a conversation with us that we weren't ready to have. I think when we were clearly trying to catch up. Yeah, I guess. Not. I guess. Yeah, you're right. They, yeah. we were accosted. Yeah, which means mm-hmm. to approach and address boldly or aggressively. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm a victim of this accostation <laughs> as well. But. You have been accosted. So yeah, the following morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the following morning, but what else is new, right? Yeah. Uh, the following morning we got up super early and went to Mm -hmm. a psychopath convention. Yes. AKA called a marathon. Right. We did. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah. So how are you feeling? Are you fully recovered now? I am. I I am. I think I'm physically fully recovered. Um, it's been a lot to process Mm -hmm. and, and that's, part of what I'm looking forward to in our conversation. I just kind of talking through it. Um, uh, as soon as I got done with the race, uh, and we came back home, my immune system just totally shut down. So I got like a really bad sinus infection. And I think a part of that Mm. is just like Mm. exhaustion and just my body shutting down. And, um, I was reading online. Apparently that's not all uncommon for people to get, you know, mm-hmm. bugs and the, you know, they call it marathon flu. So, um, yeah, I kind of been battling that mm-hmm. the past week, but, uh, yeah, man, it was just an unbelievable mm-hmm. experience <clears throat> like all around. Yeah. Unbelievable. You had told yeah. me that it was going to be, but what, what, <clears throat> yeah. What were you going to ask? What, what were you? Oh, what were you feeling at the start line of the race? <laughs> I was going to ask you that. <laughs> um, I was going to ask uh, you that. Yeah. So basically, when when we all kind of ran into each other at the start line, um, I rode to the start line with my buddy Corey and my buddy Wesley that I trained with up here in Tennessee. And um, so they came and picked me up from the Airbnb that we were staying at. And so I got up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning and I'm eating, getting dressed, you know, kind of, I don't know, it was surreal. You're like, gosh, this is really happening today. You know, you feel like you're getting up preparing for surgery or something. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, we get down to the start line and it starts to feel real and it's like, okay, we're really doing this. And then I ran into you and your buddy Joe and it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we're really doing this. And it was like the 10 months of training, and all of like the mental energy that had gone into getting ready for this moment, all kind of, I don't know, it all culminated in one place. And then, um, 
Yeah, man. It was, I don't know. It was a super emotional for me. Like we, we you know, like shot the gun or whatever. And we ran through the star line. I just had this like massive grin on my face. Like I was so happy to be there. Like I could not believe I was actually there at that moment. It was awesome. Like that was the most exhilarating beginning of anything I've ever done in a, in a very, very long time. So what was that like for you? Hmm. Uh, I, I was, to be honest with you, I was kind of dreading it. Like I, I, hmm. I knew that I knew that it was something I had to do, but, um, for two reasons, the last marathon that I ran before this one, I, it beat me up. It was, it was about 85 degrees the entire time. Oh my hot. gosh. Um, I just sweat out so many electrolytes and wasn't able to replace them in time. Um, and then secondly, I, at, for this one in Chattanooga, I only trained up to 13 miles and then I was going to jump into doing a full marathon. And for those who know anything about training for marathons, that is like really, really foolish. And, and but I knew I just didn't have the time that I hoped to, to train. And so I knew that I had to do it. I just had to go as far as I could, as long as I could and just hang in there. So I was kind of dreading that. I knew that it was going to like beat me up again because of that. Yeah. Fortunately, when we got there, you know, it was like 51 degrees, 52 degrees. It felt oh, it wonderful. Out. It was amazing. And, um, I, I think if, if it wasn't for that, I would not have made it the whole time. So, yeah. So. Yeah. So like, but yeah. So kind of like dread and dread and adrenaline, I would say. Yeah. Um, so the first few miles of the race, we all hung together. Uh, me, you, your buddy, Joe, my buddy, Wesley, my buddy, Corey, and we hung together for about the first, what, 15 miles or so. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of buddies hanging out. Yeah. Running. So we found a, uh, a pace group. So there's a guy <clears throat> with mm-hmm. a running club in Chattanooga and I guess he had done like, then you guys say he had done like the Berlin marathon and all these like really competitive marathon so he was a seasoned prestigious kind of yeah story. yeah he's a seasoned runner and so he had a big sign that he was holding up said you know four and a half hours and so we were we all kind of talked and we were like man let's see if we can hang with this guy like if we can hang with this guy and finish somewhere in the neighborhood of this you know four and a half hour thing then that'd be that'd be awesome and so mm-hmm. we all kind of hung with this dude and as we did we started to like talk and crack jokes and kind of get to know people. And, um, you remember the girl that we're, we're probably mile, I don't know, three or four. And, uh, she started saying, Hey, this is my first marathon. And he was like, Oh, how, how cool is that? And she goes, yeah, I was in a wheelchair and I went from a wheelchair to now running my first marathon. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. I think she said she had uh, lupus. I'm not sure. Oh, really? Okay. I didn't get that part of her story. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. She goes, this is a testament to the fact that God still does miracles, Mm. which which was super, super cool. And, uh, Mm -hmm. so yeah, it just kind of felt like one big party for like the first two, two and a half hours. You know, everybody's running together, sharing each other's stories, cracking Mm -hmm. jokes. Um, and (laughs) there was this one girl named Emily in our running group and every probably, I don't know, two or three miles, there was this group of people. They all had matching t-shirts, matching hats, big signs, cowbells. And it was like, way to go, Emily. And we would pass them and they would go bananas and just, yeah, go crazy. 
And then they would get mm. in a van, disappear, and then like a mile later, we would see them and they'd do it again. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. Yeah, man. So, and then you you eventually were like, "Who is this Emily person?" You know, like they, I I can't imagine my family doing that. And you were kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of kind of making jokes at like Emily's family. And Emily was right there in front of us, just two feet running in front of us, and like listening to this the whole time. And she's like, "I'm Emily." Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was yeah. like the most shy little, you know, like. But yeah, was, that was funny. Uh, yeah, she kind of didn't want to own that that was her family because they were so over the top. But it was pretty awesome. Hmm. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so we hung together the first 15 miles or so. When, when did it start getting hard for you? And what was that like? Okay. There was a point, you know, we were over, I guess on the South side of the river somewhere. And there was a long hill that was about a mile long going up a boardwalk. Mm-hmm. Maybe not a mile, maybe three quarters of a mile. And dude, that smoked me. And then we yep. hit the turnaround point at mile 15 and we're coming back. I think really mile 18. Mm-hmm. things started getting real for me. Cause like I said, I only trained 13 miles. So I was five miles already beyond my training point, but I was like, that's when it started getting hard. And that's when I started falling away from the, <coughs> um, from our, from our, uh, our pace group. And, you know, you kind of just slip farther and farther back and you're like, all right, you know, I can't stay up with these guys. Maybe I can keep them in sight, you know, and I can finish with them in sight. That's something, but yeah. you just kind of slowly, your muscles kind of start tightening up, you know, and you just run out of steam and yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's probably, probably mile 18 is when it, when it really got real for me, got difficult. Yeah, man. That's funny. That's the exact same place it did for me too. Um, although I think mm-hmm. I started running out of steam before you did. Um, and I just started slowing mm-hmm. down. Like I didn't, you know, it wasn't like I just quit, but it was like, <clears throat> I told somebody the other day, it was like I was turning up the volume on the TV, but the TV wouldn't get any louder. <laughs> it's like I was putting mm-hmm. myself yeah. more and more and more and more. And it was like, the more I pushed myself, oh, yeah, my, yeah. my legs didn't move any faster. It was like, oh gosh, uh, this is awful. And so from, yeah. from yeah, 18, most, most people, oh, sorry. I mean, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Like mile 18 is like what most people say when your body just, you know, unless you keep really pounding a lot of fluids and, and different carbohydrates and stuff, your body just cannot physically endure 18 more, 18 miles, you know, past that you really hit a physical wall. Yeah, man. Yeah, and that, that happened for me. I, I hit that wall, and between mile 18 to mile, like, 22 was just, mm-hmm. I mean, it was awful, man. It was like no man's land because everybody spread out. There was mm-hmm. no group to run with. You know, there's not people to crack jokes and to talk and doesn't feel like a big party. It feels like you're mm-hmm. just in the middle of nowhere running by yourself. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you go into some deep, dark, isolated places. And that's the thing is like, you're so spread out at that point. Everybody's kind of, everybody in the race is spread out. So yeah, you're, you're hundreds of feet away from the nearest person. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't even see another person, another racer, and you're just kind of like isolated in your own head. Um, and yeah, and you go to some deep places, like deep, the kind of dark places, like, why did I even do this? And am I going to finish it? Um, yep. Yeah. That's yeah. There, there was a, a moment while I was running where the thought crossed my mind. I think it was about mile 20 of man. I've done 20 miles. I've had a great time. Jenny and the kids are at the start line. I've got my phone on me. I could just call her and have her come pick me up and there'd be no shame in it. And for about like 15 
maybe 30 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds, maybe. I entertained that thought. And then it was like I snapped out of it. And I was like, what? No. Like, I I came this far. I have so many people that I know that are going to ask me about this race because I've told everybody I'm doing it. Like, no, I'm, I am not going to say that I quit my first marathon. I'm not going to do it. And so, like, I, I had to get to this point where I was just like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this somehow. And uh, so it was like one foot in front of the other, just trying to keep moving, just keep moving, keep moving. There was times I had to walk. When I get to an aid station, I'd walk some, and then I would run, and then I'd walk some, and then I'd run. <coughs> and then, probably mile 22, 23, I come upon a man in a tank top who was limping along like somebody shot him in the back of his of his gluteus maximus. <laughs> <laughs> Some fool who only trained at 13 miles. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So talk about that. Uh, talk about that cramping situation yeah, I, there, bud. Yeah. So I, I just got to a point where I was like, you know, um, I know that I'm going to finish and I, it was like a combination of like, I know I'm going to finish this and I'm going to, even if I even if I power walked the entire thing, I'm not going to get pulled out because I, I I'm gonna have enough time stored up and banked up, you know, from yeah. keeping a pretty good pace all those ways. But then you then you start to think, well, I'm not going to power walk. I'm going to slow jog, and then you start kind of running a little bit faster and faster, and you tell yourself, okay, you can just keep this pace right here, you know, and it'd be like a ten minute pace, ten and a half minute pace. Um, but I would hit hills and um, power walk up hills, and then let myself kind of run down the hill, and I got to thinking like, you know. I know I'm pretty sure Josh is back there somewhere. I'm going to do this until he catches up with me and then we're going to finish together. And so that was my thought process. Was oh, like nice. my, my legs just, my, my muscles are just cramping. Um, so it kind of gave me a second, just kind of like let my muscles kind of re-energize a little bit. They were just really seizing up. Um, and then, yeah, I, I actually got cold. So I put my shirt back on and then I heard you back there and I like turn around. I'm like, dude, there he is. And so, <laughs> I was like, all right, it's go time now. And so it was actually really encouraging to see you come around the corner. And I was like, all right, now we're going to, we're going to finish this strong. And that was, yeah, it was about that time we started running together. Yeah, again. Man. And, um, this wasp came out of nowhere and stung you on the <laughs> Dude, thigh. Holy cow. So, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. So I'm, I hit yeah. mile 22. I, I run into Gabe. <clears throat> it's like, oh my gosh, you're still alive. And so it's like, let's do this together. So we start running together. It was like, yeah, we can do this. And and within like 30 seconds of like me getting re-energized, I don't know what kind of wasp this was, dude, but like this massive wasp comes and stings me right on the thigh. It hurts like mm-hmm. crap. My leg seizes up and I grab hold of my leg and I'm like, ah! <laughs> and you're like, mm. ooh, insult to injury. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was painful, man. I'm sorry that happened. Well, here's what's crazy. I've been stung by a lot of wasps and bees, and it's never really bothered me. Um, dude, mm-hmm. I still have, like, this massive red spot on my leg almost two weeks later from where I got Jeez. stung by the thing. So I don't know what that thing was, but, yeah, it was awful. <clears throat> so, anyway, that was that was a, crazy. just an added uh, challenge on mile 22, <laughs> getting stung by a giant yeah. hornet wasp right in the leg right before I'm hitting the hardest part. But, uh, yeah, so the last, like – three or four miles we're running together and the way that this course is designed 
is you're running like along the greenway for about 90% of the race. And then you get to the last mile and I don't know why they designed it this way, but you literally are having to go up like a handicap ramp up a hill to where the art district is. If you know Chattanooga, the Hunter art museum and the Walnut street walking bridge and dude, that hill getting to the walking bridge almost killed me. Like I thought mm-hmm. I was going to pass out. Yeah. Yeah. It was steep. Yeah. That, that was the single most difficult moment of the race for me trying to get up that hill on the last mile. Really? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I came close to passing out. Like, I'm not kidding. Like I, I'm pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to not collapse. Like it was, it's tough. Yeah. 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 That last mile is, is, yeah, it's this onslaught of emotions, you know, in that last mile, like you can hear, you can begin to hear the announcer back at the finish line calling people in mm-hmm. and you can sometimes even get glimpses of where the finish line is. And yeah, it's your emotions begin to change and shift rapidly because yes, you're going from this place of like deep, deep despair and exhaustion to suddenly like, I think I've, I think I've got this, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think I might just make it and finish strong. And so then you kind of begin to, I think we got up on the, the chestnut street bridge and, uh, is it Walnut street bridge know, or chestnut street bridge? Were over. I'm sorry. Yeah. Walnut street bridge. Thank you. Sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. It's in that somewhere. Yeah. I don't know my, I don't know my, <laughs> I don't know my hardwoods, mm, yes. the Walnut street bridge. Yeah. So you get up on there and you're running across this wood bridge, you know, this old historic bridge and there's people that have already finished the marathon and they're lining the edges of the bridge cheering you on. And they're saying, you know, it's, it, that's such an exhilarating time because, yeah. um, you, and you and I were running side by side across this, this, this like bridge as a sort bridge and there's people just lining the sides of the cheering and they're saying you got it you know you just a little bit further just a little bit further keep going keep going and then we got about halfway across the bridge and i met with um noah my son his friend michael and my friend joe from work and mm. um they are there and they run us across the bridge and they're cheering us on and yelling at us and stuff and it's just like this really i mean it's a very emotional moment oh, yeah, where you're yeah. just like so relieved you're not there yet but you're just like I've got this. I know I've got this. Yeah. And I just want to break down and cry now because it's just like, this yeah. is over. It feels like I've made it, you know, and it's just a yeah, huge man. amount of relief and exhaustion all combined into one. So, yeah, that yeah. was emotional for me too, man. Coming down towards the last half of the bridge, down that hill. Mm-hmm. And we went down the hill, we took a right, <laughs> and then we had one more turn. Mm-hmm. And there's the finish line. And I mean, it was just like, yeah, I mean, this sounds really, I know that we're both pastors, so good Lord, we're probably going to get more sermon illustrations out of this experience for the next four years and anything else. But (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, all I could think Mm -hmm. about truthfully Mm -hmm. was like, you know, the apostle Paul writing about, you know, run the race that that he's finished his race. Well, you know, and just thinking like, man, is Mm -hmm. this what it's going to feel like when we, cross from this life into glory if we run that race well like if we know man i've pushed through i've endured i've followed jesus i've I've run the race that was set before me it had moments of pain it had moments of triumph it had moments of challenge there were times when i didn't know if i could finish but then like crossing that finish line you you know what i mean like that's all i could think about was just Mm -hmm. like man this is just kind of a small little miniature version of what it must be like to pass from this life to the next and hear that yeah. 
well done, good and faithful servant, you know, and I'm getting choked up just even thinking about it. Yeah, Cause it was you, just, golly, man, you cross, you, you cross it and you're, you cross it and you're met by people and or family members that are, have already crossed it as well. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, they're cheering you on and you cross it and they're just like going, they're going bonkers and celebrating for you. And it's like, you know, they, it's kind of like the, the ship has weathered the storm and finally come into port. You know, it's kind of like this celebration and yeah, man. Yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes, if, if anyone listening to this has yet to run a marathon, half marathons are cool. Don't get me wrong. And they're probably, you know, really good and challenging, but there's something different about a full marathon that puts your body and your mind in a different place and, yeah. um, grow it, 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 it drastically grows you as a human being to do that and to complete that. So yeah, yeah we came in, um, four hours and 50 minutes, give or take was our time. And yeah, you know, it, it wasn't my personal best, but <laughs> I was like, when I came around that corner and I saw the clock and I was like, dude, I'm completing this in under five hours. I was like really <laughs> surprised. Cause I felt like I just really dragged on. Yeah. And the fact that I, I didn't train as much as I should have, I was like, good Lord. Yeah. So yeah, I think anybody who traverses 26.2 miles in under five hours or even over five hours, that is a, in 26.2 miles in a single day is a, I think a big accomplishment. And, uh, yeah, so I, I am immensely proud of you for training hard and, oh, thanks, and doing it. And I mean, you set a goal and you completed the goal. And I think that's, that is huge. And that's awesome. Well, so, man, uh, I'm, I'm, it made it easier to know that you had already done it and you said, yeah, you can do this, you know, cause I, I don't, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't really, I mean, obviously I've got friends who are runners that have done it, but you know, to have uh, a friend I've known for a long time that knows me well, that I'm good friends with say, yeah, I did my first one last year and I was really scared of it and intimidated by it. And then I worked at it and I trained and I survived and you can do it too. I was like, Oh, all mm-hmm. right. So it's not impossible. Like I can do this. Right. Um, yeah, it, it was really, yeah, absolutely. it was funny when I crossed the finish line, there's my wife, there's my kids, you know, my oldest is there. He's giving me a hug. My girl is there. She's giving me a hug. And my three-year-old runs up to me and his first words out of his mouth are, can I play something on your phone? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, he looks at me, he's like, ah, dad looks really tired right now and worn down. Might as well just see if I can get his phone. Mm -hmm. So he said, can I play something on your phone? This is an opportunity. This is opportunity. Yeah. That's hilarious. What would you say, uh, the highlight? No, no regard. Yeah. What would be the highlight of the race for you? Other than finishing, um, <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, man, just the scenery. Uh, it was beautiful. It's yeah. the most beautiful race I've ever run. Um, yeah. I mean, running along the East coast of Florida is beautiful as the sun, sun is rising, but this, this was another level, I think just of the scenery and yeah, man running along the, running along the, um, oh, there was a point where we ran under that steam locomotive. Um, and it was like the oh, steam yeah. locomotive, the engine was going over top of me just as I was running under the bridge and that was a really cool experience. Um, just, just beautiful run up there. There's, you know, rapids and stuff and little creeks we were running by. And yeah. That was pretty cool. That was a highlight for me. What was, what was a highlight for you? Um, you know, man, I think probably that first two and a half hours was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Like I really enjoyed just the community of runners and racers mm-hmm. that we ran with just, just like the yeah. community aspect of it was just really awesome. 
um, and getting to run yeah, with yeah. you and Corey and Wesley, these guys that I trained with and, and go to the church. And um, I think, I don't know, just, just that aspect of it was awesome. Obviously finishing was the, the big highlight, but besides that, man, just, just the camaraderie and the relationships and, you know, you, you leave just feeling like, yeah so connected with people and it's almost like, man, I had that amazing experience with all these people. I feel like there's like a bond there because we experienced it together. If that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. I think when you go through difficult things with people, it really bonds you together in a whole other level. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So here's the big question. Okay. And I'm going to respect whatever you decide. (laughs) Are you ever going to do another one? Uh, I must choose my words carefully because mm. I know my wife is listening to this podcast. Um, so here's the deal. Never say never. <laughs> Thanks, Fievel. Um Man, mm-hmm. this was a massive, massive, massive commitment for me. Um, not just the race itself, but all the training that went into it. I mean, gosh, mm. towards the last six weeks of the race... I mean, I'm running, I don't know. I was running close to 40, 50 miles a week, something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my wife had to basically on the weekends when I'm out there training, basically be like single mom on Fridays or Saturdays when I went out and did a, you know, 20 mile run. And then I come home from a 20 mile run and all I want to do is lay around the house and eat. And so she basically had to make massive sacrifices so that I could do this. And I'm super, 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 super grateful for her for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And she was happy to do that because she knew this was a goal of mine. But I think as we got closer and closer to race day, I started kind of seeing like, man, I've I've put her through a lot with us, you know? And, um, I think it would be different if we were in a different season and the kids were older and the church wasn't as, um, you know, just in the busy season that I, you know, I shared with you and Stacy, just how busy of a year it's been for us as a church family. So, um, yeah, 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 it, it was an amazing experience and I'm glad I did it, but it definitely, it was a lot, you know, so this is a, a long way of right. saying, Yes, I will probably do it again. Will I do it again anytime soon? But not right now. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. No, I think that's a wise. I think that's a wise decision. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe a half marathon. Maybe a I don't know a triathlon. Mm. I did a triathlon last summer. That was fun. Mm. Wasn't as much training. Um, I have never trained this much for anything physical in my entire life. This was. This was crazy. This is crazy. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I don't know, man. I think I've got a couple more left in the tank. Just probably not until my kids get older, but what about you? You, you already know the answer to this question for you. Aren't you you doing (laughs) one like tomorrow? Three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got a, I got, it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving. So I've got a few more weeks, Mm. but no, I feel good. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm pumped for it. I'm going to, I'm going to PR this one. I'm feeling it. It's going to be flat. Uh, mm, flat is good I'm getting out i'm taking my ser- i'm taking taking my training serious this time mm. 
Yeah, I can I considered this this marathon in Chattanooga like a, a, basically a training run for me, where I was just like, I'm just gonna <laughs> trash my body and just push it hard and get get you know break in my. I got some new running shoes, and I realized those shoes I ran this last marathon in that was a. I have I have probably put 400 miles on those shoes, and I was like, oh lord, they oh, were wow. they are trash. So I I got some yeah. new shoes. I'm feeling good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let you know. But I don't have any I don't have any friends to run it with, so I'm gonna to have to find a little group and hang out with them and yeah. take my mind off of it and talk to them. So we'll see. Yeah, that made all the difference for this race, man. I don't know if I could have done it as a solo runner. Mm. I really I really don't know. I mean, seriously. But mm-hmm. yeah, so before we move on to like other topics, um, what would you say are some things that you have learned from running marathons that you take with you in the other parts of life? Mm. Uh, the human mind is extremely um, powerful. Yes. To, uh, to either um, control your body or not control your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think doing, doing marathons and long distance running has greatly increased in me, self-discipline, confidence, and it, like impulse control. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it just made me a more positive human being, I think just overall. So what about you? Man, hundred percent, exact same thing. Like there are so mm-hmm. many glass ceilings you have in your mind where there's this little voice that says, <laughs> I can't do that. You know, which has been really mm-hmm. funny since I've, um, so when people find out that I, I I did this and I ran the marathon, people will tell me, oh, I can't do that, like immediately. And I, I don't say anything, but I was just thinking in the back of my head, like, the reason maybe you can't do it is because you think you can't do it. You know what I mean? Like, there's probably a lot more that people could do, but they've told themselves they can't do it, and so that's why they don't do it. I think one of the yeah, things that yeah. I learned is that, like, totally. our excuses – 95% of the excuses we give ourselves for things that we say we can't change about ourselves. They're not actually legitimate reasons. They're just, they're just excuses. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. And and here's the thing, like, I mean, running a marathon, is pretty much mostly a waste of time, but like yeah. in terms of like disciplining yourself to eat healthier or just get out and exercise or get, lose that weight that you're trying to lose, you know? Um, yeah, we, we, we make so many excuses sometimes and mm. we're just making a habit of like reading, reading the Bible on a daily yeah. basis or whatever. Just yeah, man. having that, having that discipline is, I'm not trying to go all David Goggins here, but it's like, it's, it's so important to set up small. And I always say consistency beats complexity. Yeah. Just be consistent in a few small things. And, um, and your life will be changed to start tomorrow. Like just start yeah. tomorrow doing something small, but consistently and your life will be better for it. Absolutely, man. And it's been interesting to see since I started running, um, for this marathon and training, um, like I've also set up habits of doing things like, you know, the, reading my Bible at the same time every morning and praying at the same time every day almost to say like, as I'm growing in this physical discipline, I also want to maintain my spiritual discipline. I don't want to sacrifice one for the other, you know? And as I got more, um, 
as I got more used to continuing this physical discipline of training, it was almost like it bled over into my spiritual discipline as well. Just like, okay, I've, I've trained myself to, I'm not going to give myself a reason. Oh, I'm too tired today. Or, you know, I could sleep in. No, like hmm. I'm going to get up and I'm going to put my running shoes on. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to run. I don't, I don't care what my body tells me right now. My mind is going to win. And it's the same thing when the alarm goes off and uh, I don't, you know, I'm supposed to be up reading my Bible and praying. No, I'm going to do it. I don't care what my body tells myself. My soul says I need the Lord right now and I'm going to seek him this morning before my kids wake up and make lots of noise and I can't focus while I read my Bible. So um, just that, Mm -hmm. like you said, consistency. Um, Yeah, it just grows you and stretches you as a person. You find out that, man, a lot of the excuses I would give myself for not living a disciplined life is, is pretty lame most of the time. So definitely value there. Yeah. Yeah. Your muscle, your muscle is as much as a brain as I'm sorry, your, br- <laughs> <laughs> your muscle, your is brain. brain. Oh, your brain. You got it. You can do it. Come on. I believe your it. Brain. Oh man. Whatever. You know, I was going to say your brain, your brain is, is as much of a muscle uh-huh. as your muscles are a brain period. <laughs> <laughs> No, I lost it. Yeah. Oh, man. You get what I'm saying. I know just, what you're saying. Yeah, yeah you're good. Uh, you're good, man. You, all, you got it. You almost yeah. had it. Yeah. Maybe I need to work out my brain more. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Oh, that was good, man. It was awesome. Thank you for that amazing, amazing uh, experience. That was yeah. incredible. So, yeah. Yeah, the offer stands if you want to do uh, next year, if you want to do the 5K or the half marathon Ooh. up there in Chattanooga, we make it a tradition. Uh, just let me know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the half marathon next year. That sounds fun. So I'm not sure about the full, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, let's shift gears for a second. Let's uh, let's talk about something a little bit more serious and a little bit more uh, global. And that is um, the weekend before we got ready to meet up to do our race during the feast of Sukkot. Mm. Um, Something pretty awful happened in Israel. Do you want to kind of unpack maybe if somebody is living under a rock or maybe they've seen some stuff on the news, but not quite sure exactly what went down. You want to explain like what, what happened in Israel, what's happening now? Yeah. I wonder, um, I wonder if there's some numbers out there I can read that would kind of break it down for me. Um, but, uh, yeah. So, so, uh, on on the last day of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a Jewish holiday in the land of Israel, um, people live go out and live in like sukkahs, which is like a like a temporary hut, kind of manger looking thing. Um, but it was also on a Sabbath. A week they, they coincided. It was the last day of Sukkot and it coincided with um, a Sabbath. So people had their phones off. They didn't. They weren't using electronics if they were observant Jews. So it was very planned, um, orchestrated timing wise. But um, uh, several hundred if, 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 or maybe even a few thousand, um, I've seen different numbers of, uh, Hamas, uh, militants, um, broke through the barricade that separated the Gaza strip, which is in the Southwest corner of Israel and broke through in a little over 20 places, I believe, um, and breached the, the barricade, um, uh, and went into Israel and went into neighboring villages that are called uh, kibbutzes, or in Hebrew, yeah, kibbutzim, 
which are like little fenced in villages. Um, they're little communal, uh, usually agrarian towns and villages, um, uh, you know, full of families and stuff. And, uh, so they went in, uh, some of them actually went in by, uh, like paraglider, mm-hmm. uh, and then just kind of like landed in random fields, loaded down with grenades, RPGs, AK-47s, and I went in and just started massacring anybody and everybody um, in these villages. I saw somewhere that it was upwards of like 30 kibbutzim that were uh, affected by this or invaded. Um, so they went in uh, basically, uh, oh, and there was, there was um, about, I, I want to say, I, I saw f- around 5,000 rockets launched from the yeah, Gaza Strip into Israel I saw that, too. Yeah. that preceded this attack, this land invasion. So sirens were going off because uh, because of the, the rockets coming in. So people were immediately going to bomb shelters if they had them. A lot of a lot of homes and uh, kibbutzim have community bomb shelters, so they were going to these bomb shelters. And so meanwhile, at, that was over, came the land invasion from these Hamas militants, and um, they went in and basically just slaughtered men, women, and children, uh, even babies, uh, even so far as when they found a pregnant woman would actually pull the baby out of the womb. And, um, you know, I've seen accounts of, you know, beheadings of babies, beheadings of, of women, old people, Holocaust survivors, setting people on fire, torturing people, raping, um, just very barbaric, um, uh, taking taking over 200 um, captives back into Gaza and uh, uh, using them as hostages. Hmm. Um, some, I want to say 1,400 people died in this attack and many, many more were wounded in some way. I've heard accounts of like families being huddled together in their bomb shelter beneath, beneath their house and Hamas operatives coming in and throwing hand grenades in the bomb shelters, you know, as they're oh huddled in there. Gosh. Um, just indiscriminately just killing people as they drove through hey, the so roads. Can you explain to somebody that's down. listening, like if they don't know mm-hmm. who Hamas is, who is Hamas and, and why would they attack? What would be their motivation and their reasons for attacking like this? Yeah. Hamas is, um, the militant, uh, actually, um, I think the Hamas is the, is the government, um, and I think it's Qassam is the military wing of that government. Uh, Qassam um, literally means uh, it's like a rocket or a, um, a missile. Hamas, uh, Hamas is the, the, the Islamic government that was popularly elected in this region called the Gaza Strip. It was popularly elected to become the, the governing um, force within the Gaza Strip, um, and I think that was back in 2007, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So H- Hamas has a military wing branch called the Qassam, and um, they are they are an Islamic, they're th- like a theocratic state, basically that um, believes in the enforcement of Sharia law. They're basically a like like you, ISIS. You compare them to ISIS. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly, exactly okay. like ISIS. Yeah, they're actually um, a uh, under the umbrella of the Muslim Brotherhood, part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, ever since 2007, when they were popularly elected as the government in the Gaza Strip, Israel was like, okay, well, that's the case. And and they're, they're openly, publicly calling for the eradication of Jews and the state of Israel. 
um, and Iran is publicly supporting this government called Hamas. Israel was basically like, okay, well, they're just, you know, several hundred yards from our closest towns. Therefore, we're going to take precautionary measures and put up a barricade around the entirety of the Gaza Strip. And sure enough, you know, they started launching rockets and that were, you know, just randomly would be launching rockets with, with um, you know, no, no aiming or anything like that, just trying to hit as many civilians as possible. They've been doing that since 2007. And it just goes on and on and on. And there would be like Israeli retaliation and airstrikes or whatever that would happen. But um, it, it was discovered, too, that Hamas was tunneling deep underground and trying to get into mainland Israel under these barricades to come up and and basically do the thing they did back on October 7th, but do it via, um, you know, penetrating under the ground. Yeah. And those tunnels, thankfully, were were uh, destroyed. But that's what, that, you know, quick crash course on what Hamas yeah. is. But, so, so essentially, yeah. they are a terrorist organization that, like mm. the Taliban in Afghanistan, they essentially run the government. They were elected in the government. And their military branch is basically committed Kassam. to to waging a jihad against the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um because of extreme hatred for the Jews or the hope of wiping Israel off the face of the map and giving that land back to Palestine or kind of both, or what does that look like? Yeah, both. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. So they, they, they don't, yeah, they, they believe in the eradication of, of Jewish people. Um, and they believe in the, um, yeah, they, they absolutely don't want there to be any kind of Jewish state that would be called Israel. They want, and that's the thing is people, people say, oh, there needs to be a two state solution. There needs to be this. So that's been presented to them many mm-hmm. times by the Israeli government and other foreign entities. And they have flatly denied it and not accepted it. They just, they don't want there to be Jewish people in, in the Levant whatsoever. Wow. So that's so, their end goal. So, yeah. so it's been so like, just baffling and horrifying to me is after this has happened, you see pro-Palestinian protest in Brooklyn, in London, mm-hmm. uh, Black Lives Matter, the organization on their Twitter, um, put up a picture that said, we stand with Palestine. And there was a picture of a, Hamas terrorist in a paraglider mm-hmm. with a Palestinian flag behind it and basically saying, we stand for Palestinian freedom fighters. And so all these people on like the ultra ultra left have adopted this narrative that says Israel had it coming, that the Gaza strip mm-hmm. is an apartheid state that <clears throat> these were Palestinians who have been, you know, mistreated and oppressed and backed into a corner for years and years and years and years. <clears throat> and so these people are fighting for their freedom. They're fighting for their liberation. And man, this idea has spread. Um, th- this, this is the narrative in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, but this narrative has then spread to Western countries surprisingly. And it's, it's a horrifying narrative to see like, why is this narrative spread? And is, is there any truth to those claims? Mm. I don't know why it's spread. I mean, Americans idolize victimhood. So that mm-hmm. could be, they, they have a good um, media campaign when, whenever, you know, Israel does anything and, you know, bombs or, you know, a, a 
a building where they're shooting from and launching rockets from, you know, they, they'll actually strategically launch rockets from places like schools and hospitals so that they can get, you know, as many civilian casualties as possible. You're saying so Hamas that does that? Put Hamas that on will, BBC or CNN. Hamas will specifically. Oh, yeah. Hamas had. Yeah. had mm-hmm. they, yeah, they've they've admitted to doing that for wow. the sake of getting um, civilian casualties for the sake of getting publicity in that so they're willing to sacrifice their own people to um to bring about the 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 support and kind of the victimization of themselves um but yeah i mean egypt isn't letting any of these people in you know uh but a really fascinating thing is like you know israel has said okay you look at compare the differences like hamas went in and killed 1400 civilians and they would have killed a lot more had they had the opportunity Mm -hmm. just they got killed themselves or they ran out of ammo but they, they, their goal is the eradication of all the Jewish people in Israel. But you look at the difference when Israel is like, okay, hey, we're about to go in and we're going to clean house and we're going to crush Hamas because we cannot have them. We, they have committed an act of war. We're going to wage full war against them now. What does Israel do? It's like, okay, we're going to give you 24 hours, all men, women, and children, leave the northern part of the Gaza, go to the south of the river, and we're going to give you 24 hours. And actually, they give them way more than 24 hours. And Israel is still to this day before they bomb a building because there's a lot rockets being launched from it, or they think there's a Hamas leader in that building. They'll do what's called roof knocking where they'll actually hit the roof of the building with um, non-explosive rounds to warn everyone in that building that there's going to be some bigger ordinances coming against this <laughs> building here in a minute. If, if basically, if you want to save your life, get out of this building. Hmm. Um, and so they do this still, this. just look at the difference in the treatment of and sanctity of life it's like um hamas is just so evil that it's willing to sacrifice its own people and kill civilian lives and um but yeah i mean so these people went south they cross the the um the river gaza there to find safety and then they go to the southern border where it borders egypt and the sinai and and it'd be a great opportunity for Egypt to be like, okay, yeah, we'll take you in, you know, you you're huddled masses, right, right? Right, right. But even Egypt's like, no, we don't want you because you're a threat to us. So no one's calling Egypt out on that. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's that's the thing is like I think people look at look at um, the Gazans as 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 victims, but you've got to remember like the Gazans popularly elected this organization right. to be their government, right? Um, so, I mean, it is, a, and, it is a terrible, yeah, it's like, it, it's a terrible situation in Gaza. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's awful. I mean, you, you've got, again, a mm-hmm. lot of children there. It's one of the most densely populated areas in the world. People are essentially trapped yeah. in this area, but at the end of the day, it is their own, their own leadership, their own elected officials who's, who's mm-hmm. responsible for a lot of that because they're the ones that have said our neighbors <laughs> to the East of us, we want to kill them and we want them dead. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, it, the whole thing is, is heartbreaking. The, you know, situation when men, women, and children in Gaza is, is absolutely heartbreaking. The Palestinian people, there, super sad, but at the end of the day, to adopt the narrative that um, these are Palestinian freedom fighters and Israel is just a bully that's mm-hmm. oppressed them for years and years and years is, is pretty far from mm-hmm. the truth. And I think that's a pretty slanted take on it that almost adopts more of the oppressor oppressed mindset instead of looking at cause and effect. Yeah. 
um, for certain political choices right. made by nations. They're really ironic. The really ironic part about you know a lot of a lot of leftists are singing this tune of like oh free Palestine free Palestine and taking the side of Palestine and calling Israel an apartheid state. It's like okay, you uh, homosexual leftist mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or transgender leftist who's waving this Palestinian flag and supporting Hamas. I want to see how long you last in Gaza. Right, <laughs> they will string you up. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. There's no gay people in Gaza. No. They string them up. Right. Uh, there's lots of gay people in Israel. I have seen many gay people in Israel. There's gay pride parades in Israel. There's freedom of press in Israel. There's freedom of religion in Israel. There's a democratic, democratically elected uh, uh, government in Israel. There haven't been free elections in, in, in Gaza for over a decade now because they shut that down. So it's like, and you don't have any, you don't have any freedom of press. You, you, there's no freedom of religion. It's like, there's it just it, mind boggling yeah. how these people can back an organization that is just Islamo fascist at its core. Yeah. I think part of it is like the narrative starts getting spun and people start to try to figure out, okay, which side of the aisle are we on this, right? We've got to figure out, okay, what, where are the conservatives on this? Okay, I bet the conservatives are all going to be in support of the Jewish people because the conservatives are going to be aligned with Judeo-Christian values. So if the conservatives are in alignment with Judeo-Christian values and the conservatives are supporting Israel, then I can't be aligned with that. I've got to be against them. And so me being against them means I'm pro-Palestine, not even thinking about this isn't even about mm -hmm. the Palestinian people. This is about a terrorist organization. And so it, mm -hmm. it's just absurd and and disgusting in the truest sense of it that someone is willing for the sake of trying to appear loyal to a partisan viewpoint willing to <laughs> willing to support a terrorist organization that imposes sharia law and will cut somebody's hand off and behead somebody um that does some of the things they do i mean it's just absurd yeah it's just stupidity yeah man yeah and and the fact of the matter is is there is never in history ever been this thing called a Palestinian state. Hmm. That's a, that's a new modern invention. Um, there, there has all, there have been a series of empires that have come in to this region of the world in the middle East that have taken over. And even through the changing hands of all these different empires, there's never once been this, this era called, or this place called the Palestinian state. Um, just never has been. And it was British um, Palestine before it was the nation of Israel, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was under British control, and there was there was lots of Jews living there as well. And that's the thing is like even in Israel, there's lots of Arabs living in Israel. It's hmm. not like Israel is this racist apartheid state. There's I, I don't know what the breakout is um, percentage wise, but there is a large part of is Israel's population is Arab, ethnically Arab, and somehow they all get along. Right? It's like. Hmm. How is that possible? But but people people don't think that. People think Jews versus Arabs, and that Arabs are in Gaza, and this is like this racial thing. But it's just not true. It's this. It's an ideal ideology thing. It's a religion thing, hmm. and ultimately it goes back to like a biblical thing, and it, it it goes back to did God promise these people this land or not? And which God do you worship? That's ultimately what it boils down to. Hmm. That's the core of this whole thing. Is God a liar or is he not a liar? Like in, in, in Amos 9, 
um, verse 13, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. And he says in verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So we, ha- we either believe that or we don't. That's yeah. either God speaking or it's not. And if mm. you have a biblical worldview, if you profess faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you believe the book of Amos is divinely inspired, then you have to choose what side you're on. Hmm. What would you say to our friends that are amillennial or they would say <clears throat> ethnic Israel doesn't really have a special heritage, you know, the, the people of God are the people of God. There is one Israel, and that's the spiritual Israel, anyone that believes in Jesus, right? I mean, of course, they would be sympathetic towards the people of Israel, but, I mean, how would you respond to them and how they're viewing this conflict in the midst of that? So they're saying basically that Israel has been completely spiritualized and this yeah. is now yeah. Like so like eth- those who follow Christ mm-hmm. are Israel. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say you have to do some quite a bit of gymnastics, biblically speaking, to hermeneutically speaking, to to make that fit within the Bible. Yeah, and that's the, that's the other thing too is like in 1948, something miraculous happened, and that was for the first time in thousands of years, there was again a nation state on the map called Israel, and suddenly a couple thousand years of church dogma that has just been plain wrong and supersessionist at its core has to be reevaluated. And we have to say, wait a second, maybe we were looking at eschatology incorrectly. Because now, it seems like the things in the book of Amos, for instance, and many other prophetic passages, are actually coming to fruition on a more literal level than hmm. what we thought they would be. Sure. So that's, that's what I would say. Um, yeah. I would say that's a dangerous game to play with God's people. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm definitely not a person that would say, "Hey, it's just yeah. spiritual Israel." I mean, I'm you, you and I have talked about it. I mean, I believe that God yeah. has a plan yeah. for ethnic Israel. I believe that God's um, his plan for all of the end is going to take place there in the epicenter of Israel. I believe Israel is going to be the the headquarters for the messianic kingdom. Jesus rules and reigns from the throne of David in Jerusalem. Like I'm, I'm there there with you on it. Uh, it's just interesting to me to see um, as, as all this unfolds, I mean, the big question I think on a lot of people's minds and I've gotten it as a pastor is, and I'm sure you've probably gotten it too. Okay. Is, is this it, right? Is this the big one? Is this Armageddon? I mean, all right. Is this, this is Israel going to war with their neighbors. Is this Gog and Magog? Is this, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, is this, are we about to see end time prophecy yeah, being yeah. fulfilled? Is, is the return of Christ right around the corner? Um, so, I mean, what do you, what do you say to that? I don't know. <laughs> we would be saying this is the big one if we lived in 1948 and we saw the foundation of that's very true. the nation of Israel. And I mean, that's the thing is like, Israel declared independence in 1948. The UN voted 
to affirm that. And then a massive war broke out mm. and many other Arab nations surrounding Israel in, immediately invaded Israel and this little ragtag army miraculously was victorious against all these other nations. Then in 1967, 1973, the list goes on of conflicts that yeah. Israel has had to endure. Um, but we would all be saying the same thing. Like this is maybe the big one in all those times. So I just don't know. You know, I don't know if this is the big one. It could escalate really quickly, and you know, and it could turn into a really big deal, um, or it could be nothing. But I will say, I've never seen in all those past conflicts. I've never seen the amassing of U.S. troops and warships in the Mediterranean like we have seen with this. Yeah. Um, I mean, we may very well have boots on the ground already in Israel. Um, I know that the 26, I think it is, um, Marine Corps Expeditionary uh, Force suddenly left Kuwait and they're nowhere on the radar right now, but they're somewhere. Uh, they ended a training uh, operation in Kuwait super early to, to go somewhere hmm. left in the middle of the night and no one really knows for sure where. But I know that we have, we have a lot of hostages still in Gaza that are American citizens. There were American citizens killed in this attack. And yeah, so I mean, that's, that's different. That, that sure. didn't really happen in the past conflicts like it did in this one. So that's an interesting dynamic to who I'm keeping an eye on too, is our involvement in it. But yeah, it's, a, it's really interesting. It's a big one. Um, there's a lot of people who are students of biblical prophecy that have said that, you know, Gog and Magog or, you know, the, the different forces that are described as merging together in the battle of Armageddon that make war <coughs> against God and the people of God. Um, it would involve Persia, which mm -hmm. modern Iran. Iran is ancient Persia. And then it would involve an army to the north and the northern superpower that opposes a lot of Israel's interest would be Russia. And so there have mm -hmm. been people who have tried to say, okay, so Iran supports Hamas, and Iran and Russia are allies. So if Persia gets involved or Iran gets involved and then Russia gets involved because Iran's involved. That's a fulfillment of prophecy right there. We need to buckle our seatbelts because Jesus is right around the corner, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I think that's an interesting theory, but at the end of the day, um, I'm not, I'm not really sure it would, <laughs> God, God could do anything he wants. You know what I mean? Like, like you said, if we would have lived during the Yom mm -hmm. Kippur, war and been around there's probably pastors that were saying that and saying stuff about the soviet union and things like that so mm -hmm. it, it very well could be the fulfillment of biblical prophecy but um the reality is a lot of biblical prophecy that is fulfilled you don't know it until much later you know what i mean mm -hmm. yeah yeah so how do we yeah. as christians need to be praying and thinking about this conflict what do you think are prayers should be what do you think our hearts should be what do you think our minds should be when we think about israel and hamas and the potential of the big one armageddon well, world war three yeah i mean we got to remember it um you know 
war and, and death, especially of innocent humans, is a is a tragedy in God's eyes, regardless of who they are, what side they're on. Absolutely. And it's a product and a symptom of living in a fallen and sinful world. Um. In addition to that, you know, so we should be praying for peace. But in addition to that, um, Psalm one twenty two. Verse six says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem specifically, and may those who love you be secure. Um, and praying for Christ's return, um, for his kingdom, because that will be the ultimate fulfillment of Amos chapter nine. Uh, you know, when we beat our our um, our swords into plows, right? And, and mm -hmm. use them as farming implements. I, I look forward to that day. Um, and until then, you know, it's like, Israel has a very, uh, I would say, divine right to defend themselves at this point um, and protect themselves. Um, yeah, I think that I think that's I think that's how we should be praying and just praying for His return and, and that it be soon and in our day. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. I I would say yes and amen to that. I would also add. Um, keep a level head. Mm -hmm. Don't be easily yeah. swayed by um, YouTube prophecy experts, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or Fox News. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, mm -hmm. I think there's a way we should be engaged. I mean, I think we should be mm -hmm. following this story and staying informed and praying about it and doing everything we can to, to, like you said, pray for the peace of Jerusalem and praying for the Lord's return and, and praying for peace, not just for the people of Israel, but for the people of Gaza. Um, but I also say, but just, just keep a level headed, uh, level headed about it. Cause I mean, God's not giving us a spirit of fear. And mm -hmm. the point of the book of revelation in your Bible or Daniel in your Bible or anything that, you know, even Jesus talking about his own return is not so Christians can open their Bible and then pull up their, you know, Twitter newsfeed and Bible, Twitter newsfeed, Bible, Twitter newsfeed. Oh, wow. Look, there it is. Uh, like the whole point is be encouraged. The brokenness comes to an end and Jesus is victorious mm -hmm. and be faithful, be yeah. faithful, be faithful, be faithful, right? Keep doing what Jesus has called us to do. And one of the things Jesus said is this gospel must be preached to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. And so like we should be getting busier now than ever before in any time in human history. If we want to see the return of Christ to share the gospel, mm -hmm. to live out the Christian faith, to be who it is we're called to be, because if Jesus is right around the corner, man, blessed is that servant who is found busy doing the work of the master when the master returns, not the servant who's sitting there looking at their Twitter newsfeed and their Bible, trying to figure out who the antichrist is, hmm. which is, yeah. it's Oprah Winfrey in case you're wondering. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> or Dwayne, the rock Johnson. I could see uh, him being the antichrist. Everybody loves him. Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. And the, the favorite right now is Elon Musk. But, no, too many people hate him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe. Um, you know, the, the, the word 
Hamas in Arabic, it means zeal or courage. Hmm. The word Hamas in the Hebrew language means violence, but not just any violence. It's connected to the idea of a, like a bird of prey that swoops down and grabs its prey that is completely unsuspecting of its presence. And hmm. have you ever seen, especially if you have like chickens or something, like a hawk comes through and, and just grabs a chicken and sometimes yeah. they even like rip its head off and then fly off, you know, just, it's just that kind of violence. It's like completely unprovoked, unexpected. And that's the idea of Hamas in Hebrew. Hmm. And I was wanting to maybe read and close out with Isaiah chapter 60, starting at verse 14. It says, the sons speaking to Israel, the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you. And all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall drink the milk of the nations, and you shall nurse at the breasts of kings. And you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. And I will make you overseers peace. Make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. And Hamas, violence, it says in the original language, shall no more be heard in your land. Hmm. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls, and the Hebrew word here is Yeshua, salvation, which is the name of Jesus. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. So I, I don't know. That's my prayer, I guess, yeah. is Isaiah 60, that it be fulfilled that Hamas, that violence and injustice not be heard in the land, but not only in that land, but in our land as well. But wow. yeah, this conflict in Israel is serving as a decision point for so many um, people are having to choose which side they were on and read your Bible, get in your Bible and see that um, the nation and the people of Israel are the apple of God's eyes and he's going to keep his promise and he does not change. So figure out where you stand on that, make a decision. Absolutely. And um, get in your Bible. You can't get wrong. Absolutely. Or it wouldn't be the beards and Bible podcast. Hmm. Although tonight it's just beard and Bible podcast. Mm. So mm. beard and Bibles. <laughs> Well, Gabe, it's been fun hanging out, man. Enjoyed yeah. it. Enjoyed catching up. It's been great. If uh, Yeah, till next time. Yeah. If anybody has any questions about any of this, um, or you want to go on a run with Gabe or I, send us an email, beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.